Hello and welcome to Become an Educator, the podcast that aims to explore the secrets to great teaching in our classrooms. I'm Darren Leslie, and each week I discuss things that will hopefully make an impact in your school, with guests from classroom teachers to head teachers and everyone in between and beyond in the education sector. This week, I am joined by Dan Edwards. Dan is a principal of a large primary school, and prior to that, Dan taught in a secondary school, teaching a full timetable of GCSE and A-levels. Dan has held leadership roles in both primary and secondary sectors, and has also spent considerable time working in various education units and adolescent residential social care. Dan also had a brief sojourn teaching postgraduates as a visiting lecturer at universities. Dan is a regular columnist for Teach Primary, The Head Teacher Magazine, and SSAT. Dan also hosts a regular education forum on Twitter called Hashtag Saturday Ed Chat with another previous guest of Becoming Educated, the wonderful Kate Jones. And Dan is also a host on the brilliant Teachers Talk Radio. And if you haven't listened to it before, I'd highly recommend it. And I'd also recommend Dan's conversation with Elizabeth Stocko as her book Talk the science of conversation is really, really good. So back to becoming educated. In this interview, I asked Dan what sparked his move from teaching secondary to working in primary, where he is now as a principal of Woodstock Primary School. I asked Dan if there's a difference between leading in a secondary school to leading in a primary school, and I also asked him to unpick what he thinks are the keys to successful school leadership. Prior to this conversation, when I, and I, Dan and I spoke, and he mentioned the idea of putting humanity back into teaching. So, of course, I asked him what he means by this and how he is going about doing it in his school. We also dis- discussed the disruption that the COVID pandemic has caused to him and his staff team and also how they are tackling this disruption and how they found the return to the classroom. And we closed talking about one of my favourite subjects, continuing professional development. As I asked Dan how he is leading continuing professional development in his primary school. So let's dive right in and listen to what Dan has to say and listen out to why Dan thinks we should be making education irresistible. So I'm joined on Becoming Educated today by Dan Edwards. Dan, thanks so much for joining me today. How are you? Very well, thank you. Very well indeed. It's Wednesday and uh, it's getting to the point of the week where it's all not downhill till Friday, but you know you know what I mean. It's getting Certainly. to the point where you're getting there to the, thinking about Friday. Yeah, the momentum's going across and it'll be the weekend very, very soon. So um, I like to start all my podcasts with you sharing a little bit about you. So could you share a little bit about you and your career in education to date, please, Dan? Of course. Right. So I I came into teaching quite late. So I I say late. I completed a graduate teacher program um, back in 2005 when I was about 29. Um, and I originally trained as an English and drama teacher in secondary school. So I was very lucky to be 
kind of adopted by a, a secondary school in Leicester to be, to have that training experience, which was fantastic. And I spent a really happy year um, in the deep end, really, of teaching. So uh, they, they weren't really, didn't have the capability to kind of stagger me in gently over the term. It was very much agreed that if, there, if I was going to do it, that I would be in a substantive post. I would take a year four, year eight form and have a full timetable. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was, I was, you know, although I hadn't teach, you know, taught before or stepped foot into a classroom, it was a great opportunity to just jump straight in and learn as I went along and learn I did very, very quickly. Um, I then moved to um, a 14 to 18 year old, uh, 14 to 18 uh, college where I continued to teach GCSEs and A-levels. And although I'd completed a degree in what was drama, um, I thought I'd be really creative being a drama teacher. And I thought it would give me that kind of creative outlet. But I found that actually teaching one subject or just a handful of subjects um, against a, you know, what was quite a tight you know, syllabus, as it were, an exam syllabus, I soon kind of, I felt, got a bit stale. I kind of found myself a little bit you know, repeating the same things, a little bit lost with ideas. And sometimes, you know, as drama teachers, I'm sure, I'm, you know, there might be a few people listening. You're very much a solo entity. You are the only mm -hmm. drama teacher in the school. And it's very hard, you know, when you're teaching a full timetable and the rigors of exams and et cetera, et cetera. It's hard to network with other practitioners to share and, you know, develop ideas. And, you know, social media and the like weren't, you know, in you know, as prevalent as they were. So I decided to take a couple of years out of, edu uh, of education. I say education in regards to teaching. I continued to have two years working um, as a practitioner through creative partnerships, gathering kind of um, funding to lead projects in schools. and really found my way stumbling into primary schools, um, looking at curriculum, looking at drama, working with early years working with primary age children and then realizing that actually this was fantastic this was the age range that I really enjoyed this was the sector that I thought that was actually probably the most creative you could be because you had a range of subjects you would teach and you had to think very carefully about how you present those to children to engage them for the first time and um, I then took a post at my well, at the primary school that I went to as a child. So I, I stepped back into teaching into primary. Um, the primary school that I went to as a child had a vacancy. And I first of all thought, well, this would be quite novel, going back to the school that I went to. And I was lucky to be supported by the head teacher there who, who took a chance on, on, a, on a secondary school drama teacher. And um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And there I was in the same classroom that I left um, in year six, then now teaching year five, and the teaching assistant that was there to do my laces and help me, you know, colour in within the lines and help me write, you know, stories was the TA that helped me work out how to collect milk money and dinner money was the same TA that was with me when I returned. And she, and I always remember that I came to the board to write my name and date in my best primary school cursive handwriting only for her to tap me on the shoulder and went 
your handwriting hasn't improved in 30 something years so yeah and and it was just great and I was there and I knew lots of the the children that I taught were children of the parents that I went to school with Um, so I had a very personal relationship with that school and it was a journey that we went on um, getting the school to good and it was brilliant. And then I had the opportunity to join a small multi-academy trust. There was a role as an executive vice principal. So it was, a, I suppose, a roving deputy job across the primary schools. And then the opportunity came to, to take one of the schools or to lead one of the schools, should I say, um, in February 2018. And that was Woodstock Primary Academy, where I'm head now. And uh, I've never looked back since. And I still pinch myself every morning when I go to work, thinking it's the best job in the world. We have great parents. We have great staff. We have great children. We've been on a real journey of school improvement, you know, from, you know, some quite interesting times, should I say, to where we are now, where actually we, I'm really proud of where we've, what we've achieved. Um, yeah, so that's it in a nutshell, really. So it was a bit of a, a late start. I kind of mucked around a little bit in secondary school teaching and I, and I thoroughly enjoyed that. But then I soon found that primary school education and the opportunity to make education as irresistible as it should be for such early, you know, for children in their earliest years of, uh, of education and their first exposure to some of these subjects. It was... Um, the opportunity to have that and to really make sure we did a really great job um, was irresistible, really. So yeah, I'm 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 really pleased where I'm at, where I am. But it was a bit yeah, stop and start along the way. But I got there in the end, I suppose. Certainly, what a wonderful journey from leaving your primary school and going back and the teaching assistant who helped you as a young man, helping you as a as a young teacher. So it's a wonderful story and. and uh, so much there I want to want to unpack. But the first thing I want to go back to, as you said there, uh, making education as irresistible as it should be. Can I, can I ask you to elaborate on that and what you mean by that? Because that sounds fantastic. I think for me, you know, we have a great opportunity. You know, we all do in every, every part of the sector, you know, whether we're teaching secondary school children or whether we're teaching, you know, year six to year three, to year one, to, to nursery practitioners. We, we have to make education now, and I suppose more so than ever, with the challenges we have, and also the distractions that children have away from education. You know, when, you know, when I went to school, you know, there wasn't that great, there wasn't a great deal of life outside of school. You know, you'd go home, you'd muck about with your friends on the street. You might put, if you were lucky to play five-a-side football or Sunday league football, that was about it. The shops were closed on a Sunday and you didn't really do a great deal apart from go to school. But now, obviously, you know, life outside of school for children is, is, is a lot different. There's, a, you know, there's distractions, there's technology, there's knowledge at their fingertips. There's, you know, some of the children are probably more worldly wise with, you know, technology and understanding of the world than I particularly was or, or, or some of my peers. And, you know, a counterpoint to that, there's lots of children out there who, who still don't have a great deal outside of their educational life. So for me, and I suppose, you know, I looked at my secondary education career very differently, that I felt that when I was taking on classes in year 10 for their first opportunity to teach drama you know have drama lessons or whatever you just felt that some children came 
into that key stage four environment a little bit lost a little bit dejected to the world of education had kind of given up a little bit on it perhaps and just kind of understood well I'm going to do my GCSEs and then I'm off or whatever and that was no fault of their own it's probably no fault of their teachers but it's just obviously the the, the culture I suppose that education had become at that point um, was again you know probably driven by a bit of an Ofsted agenda it was about attainment it wasn't about the quality of education the curriculum and all of those things so really for me you know as a primary school leader the first point of engagement with education has to be memorable it has to be just that light bulb moment when wow learning is brilliant school is just out of this world this is brilliant this is where people listen to me this is where my personality can shine this is where I'm safe this is where I can you know be rewarded for my efforts but also be molded into a citizen to be able to take on the challenges of of you know, the next steps in their educational journey. So for me, I think, you know, personally, I believe that primary school has got to be irresistible. It's got to be just magic um, because it's the one chance they get to be really turned on by learning and education. So, yeah, that's, that, I think that's what I mean. It's about that, you know, making it so magical that they just want to stick at it forever and ever and ever and ever. Definitely. It's bringing me back to an earlier conversation I had in my podcast with Richard Gerver, and he says some similar yeah. things around, around when he was um, leading a primary school around making it that, that, I think I can't remember what he called it, I think it was Pixar-type education, but that same idea, making it as yeah. magical and, and irresistible as well, so that that love of learning, Mm. is really instilled in them so that like that anecdote you gave there about the year 10s that by that time education hasn't ground them down it's lifted them up and really made them made them curious and and hungry for for more learning so a yeah. couple of a couple of things we spoke about there we're going to unpack a little bit around your thinking around around leadership um we're going to talk a little bit, bit about the COVID disruption and one of my favourite topics, CPD. Before that, you've mentioned your move from secondary to primary. And you, in your introduction, you mentioned a little bit about kind of feeling the monotony of um, <laughs> full timetables and GCSEs and A-levels. But can I ask, what, what, what sparked your move from teaching secondary to working in primary where you are? Was it as simple as the the restriction from teaching um, one or two subjects to the um, moving into a world where you can you can dip your toe into a few subjects. I think prior to becoming a teacher, I was you know probably like most people who have done you know maybe a degree in the arts. You do spend a bit of time trying to trying to create your write your own script to make sure that you've got some artistic endeavors under your belt before you try and get a proper job so I didn't did that trying to um you know trying to be a performer or whatever so the natural thing was to go right okay if I want to work in the arts I'll teach it I will go and teach drama because that would be like being a director um but also I had a passion of making sure that people who, children who wanted to develop those confident, you know, that thing of confidence that comes from drama, the kind of the, the social and personal development, all of those transferable skills, you know, I, I knew the importance of drama and the arts within education. 
and I was really passionate about it. And I was passionate about it for, for many reasons. One, because it's, it enables social mobility because, you know, those, those transferable skills that you get from, you know, the arts can enable you to kind of lift your way forward. Um, allow children to really reflect on culture and empathize with, you know, art or, you know, characters of literature or whatever. So I was really excited about going on that journey and taking children on the journey and the excitement that I went through when I was doing my GCSEs and, and you know, sixth form choices. But I suppose you be, you know, as much as you kind of feel that you can be creative, you are still teaching a syllabus and you are still teaching to an outcome and you, and then you kind of recognize that the outcomes that you get are kind of pretty formulaic to the way that you deliver those lessons because you know you you are accountable and you want to make sure you've got the best outcomes so you don't tinker too much with the process that you get there you know the best scripts you know the best way of kind of moving children or students through that process to enable them to come um, to achieve what they what they deserve and I suppose after a while I think well I, I suddenly realized well this isn't cr as creative as I thought it would be I actually am just you know, managing a process in a subject that I enjoyed. And as much as I was trying to be really creative in my practice, there was a point where I felt, well, I've, I've, I've kind of covered all bases and I don't want to think that I was in any way a master of it. I just felt that actually I needed a bit of a break. And I suppose, again, going back to that kind of solo role that, you know, drama teachers have and, and, and teachers who are delivering expressive art subjects is normally not a big faculty that you're a part of you're normally a, a solo entity in a in a bigger faculty so you, you do carry the weight of your own data analysis and and those kinds of things and those two a-level groups or those two gcse groups that move forward you know you're always unpicking what you went what went well and what didn't go so well um so i i felt that i needed a break i think i became very reflective um, I still thoroughly enjoyed teaching. I knew that that was the thing, but I felt I needed to step back a little bit and just re just reflect and just reconsider my options. Um, so like I say, I, I took some time out. I worked alongside a, another drama teacher who was still, who was possibly still probably feeling the same way that I did. Um, and we worked together and we developed some you know, wonderful projects that allowed us to work with schools across the country and, and different children in different settings, you know, children in, looked after children to children in residential settings to then children of primary school age. And incidentally, while I was still at second, teaching secondary school, I became a bit of a link teacher for my A-level students because they wanted to do some theatre and education projects and to develop some ideas for workshops with primary school kids so we brokered relationships with our local primaries and it was just I was so excited when my, when the A-level students went in and to deliver these workshops to like year two and year one children nothing to do with drama but actually drama delivering um, a PSHE theme or drama delivering a science objective all of a sudden this was like this is brilliant this is kind of using the skills that I want to do to enable children to develop their learning through a whole raft of subjects. Well, this is creative, this is thinking on your feet, and this is really kind of using the skills to move forward. So I, like I say, I spent 
you know, probably about two years just working in different schools, working with different local authorities, working in different settings, and possibly incidentally in that time, building up a, a range of experience of working in primary schools. However, I didn't think it was going to be enough to get myself a job. I always thought that, you know, someone's going to have to flip a coin, you know, finger in the wind, hope for the best that if they did invite me into their school that I'd do all right. Um, and like I say, it was all very fortunate that the school that I applied for was my old school. They were in the position where they needed, you know, fresh ideas are in that position of change and development and the head teacher just sort of went yeah no let's let's take a gamble and you know you made me very aware that I had a lot to learn and I can remember stepping into uh, having my initial conversations with the with the you know the head teacher at that time and said when do I get my PPA and she said well you'll have yours on a Wednesday afternoon and I was like well, what about my hours dotted around the day? You know, do I still get the first hour of the first lesson of Monday morning off or whatever? No, it doesn't work like that. You, you'll get, oh, right. And you then soon realise that you're with these children for all of the time and you don't say goodbye to them, you know, like a, you know, a year 10 class that you possibly don't have the best relationship and you don't see them till Thursday period five. Crikey, these children are with me all of the time. And that relationship that you have with those, that gang of these children that just, you know, hopefully want to learn, or you have the important job of making them engaged in learning was just brilliant. It was like, you know, every day having the, have, building the relationships with these children to the point where you can start seeing this really, the success, crikey, they're writing a story a little bit longer than they did, or they're really getting that bit of maths or, They've got that science and it's just wonderful because you're just taking these this little gang of children and learners on this journey and it's i just can't i can't express how exciting it is and you know should one day i decide you know not to be a, a primary leader but to get back into the classroom there's nothing better than starting the year with these these class of children just looking at you going what's going to happen you know i just i just find it irresistible i'll go back to this word of irresistible because it is just great definitely is that education is almost as irresistible for you as it is as you're making it for for the young people it's just wonderful to hear you talk about that and and you've also then made a success in primary as you've worked your way up from that roving deputy to now principal is, is it woodstock primary school you mentioned yeah, Woodstock Primary Academy. So yeah, I'm I'm principal there. We've just got over just over 460 children in in there. We're a big school, um, but yeah, I, I I love my job. I just love it. Brilliant. Yeah. So we're now going to talk a little bit about leadership, and and I want to ask you then, since you've got experience of secondary and primary, is is there a difference between leading in a secondary to leading in a primary, or do they cover the same kind of principles? Um, I think there is obviously transferability because, you know, it's not domain specific, you know, those leadership skills to, you know, enable people to reflect on their practice and, and to achieve, you know, to, to achieve success in their roles is pretty transferable from one to the next. And obviously, you know, I was a, a middle leader of a, of a, of a quite sizable faculty. Um, and, you know, the same kind of, you know, the, the annual kind of 
events of performance management and all of those things are, are very, very similar. But I suppose with primary leadership, depending on the size of your school, your, I suppose the perception of, of yourself being kind of front and center of the school and really getting, you know, getting on the ground and supporting your staff and supporting everybody there. You're, a, although there is a hierarchy, I suppose it's more flattened because you are, you know, you, you're, you're supporting everybody on a day-to-day -day basis. You, you know, you're on the gate, you, you're in the dining hall. Well, I certainly am, you know, you're, you're there or, you know, and if the clean, one of the cleaners away, I'm, I'm more than happy to get the floor scrubber and, and do the corridor. So it's, it's how you, I suppose for me, it's about how you want to present yourself as a leader um, because you could be aloof, you could be one of those leaders that chooses not to, you know, to be within your office and to not reach out or to feel that that's where you feel that you need to be. But for me, I'm, I'm very happy being myself, you know, Dan Edwards in the school, I, you know, because I think I spent probably the first part of six months exhausted trying to be a head teacher that I thought I needed to be. And, you know, and I think we all do that when we kind of get thrown in at the deep end. But it took me a while to kind of go, hang on, I'm absolutely exhausted trying to second guess what this caricature of a head teacher would do and how they would act. And maybe it's a drama thing. You know, you try and find the, the nearest character. And the best thing to do is I soon found that the most effective way of communicating with people and the most effective way with dealing with parents and, and children was to actually just be myself and, and hold my hands up and go actually look you know I'm going to make mistakes I'm I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination I don't you know I don't profess anybody else to be perfect but you know what I have the lanyard I have my responsibilities and and we'll just get through it together and it and, it, and I think it's worked uh, or no one's found me out yet <laughs> no one, no one's found you um, breaking the character. So thank you. Yeah, yeah. But no, I, I think for me, I think you know, I, I suppose where I was in, in, you know, in secondary leadership, it was very. There was an element of strategic development on a, on a on a smaller scale, you know, on a faculty level, but there was a lot of obviously operational stuff, you know, the accountability measures, the Q and A, and the monitoring, and all of those things, and the analysis of data. And they're still there, but I suppose, you know, I suppose that strategic, you know, vision, vision is still there, obviously, when you go further up the senior chain in secondary school. Um, but yeah, I, I, I kind of, for me, the opportunity of being a leader in a primary school is, is just that strategic drive to, like I say, going back to that thing of how do you make that school the best possibly can be for these fantastic children and parents that attend. Certainly, and thanks for mentioning earlier about the, the fact that you will make mistakes and we're learn, learning together. It's, it's so refreshing to hear head teachers talk about that and be so, so open about that. So then can I ask you, Dan, what do you think are the keys to successful school leadership? I think for me, it's always hard because you, you know, you try and reflect as much as you do and you know we talk about successful leadership I don't know how you measure success um, I suppose it's one thing obviously we have these extrinsic markers of you know what we did have of you know Ofsted and attainment data and all of those things and all of those external quantitative measures but I think really 
I think I think the big thing for me is more about the qualitative measures that you can have and and that about parental engagement and how much that community is buys into your school vision and if you can and if you can really work with your parents and and be a person that can communicate on a level with parents to the point where they believe in what you're doing and they are supportive of what you're doing because we all know that parents are at very different stages in their you know parental career and also have had many different experiences which has either you know encouraged them to love education or also you know terribly you know they might have had experiences of school which has really turned them off you know talking to school teachers or having any kind of relationship with um school in general so i think really for me it's the way in which you can interact with your community and to and to develop that buy-in through being authentic and transparent i think they're the two two things for me are really key is that authenticity the transparency but i like to kind of pull it all together that you it's it's leading with humanity a little bit it's really is about understanding that you're working with people all of the time you're working with young people you're working with people who who work within education and and you're working with you know parents and carers and, and you have to be be able to control and have those conversations at every level to be able to get everybody working in the same way and it is hard it is hard because you know sometimes talking to parents can be tricky because you have to deliver difficult messages such as when you have to deliver the tricky messages to staff as well but you know it's it's that human aspect of everything that we do to enable us to make sure that actually what we fundamentally have in our schools is a culture of respect and transparency and trust certainly and pick up on that word humanity the, the last time we spoke prior to this um you mentioned this idea of putting humanity back into teaching and you've, it's came up again there. So can I ask you, Dan, what do you mean by putting humanity back into teaching and how are you going about it in your setting? I think when I talk about humanity in teaching and, and, and schools, I think, you know, we've, we've, well, I hope we've had, an, a, you know, a year or, or 16 or 18 months, as it were now, where we can really reflect on the practices that we were supporting in our schools. And that may be because they were historic tropes that have been passed down, you know, that the fact is that, you know, you know, when those conversations, so, so when do you have your staff meetings? Well, we have them every Monday, three till four, and then we have a briefing on eight to 15 till then or whatever. And, you know, those conversations around performance management, which may have been to so ingrained in accountability measures and, and numerics. And, you know, the way in which our kind of systems around behaviour and, you know, hierarchical kind of chains of command and all of those things. And what happened when COVID kind of took place is all of those things kind of had to change massively you know there was no conversations in the corridors because we were all remote we couldn't just quickly gather people in the brief you know into a staff room for a quick briefing because we've got to talk about this emerging problem in english or whatever and also we didn't have any kind of places to judge our behavior or, or to go from there so what we did theoretically was wipe the slate clean and and really it gave us an opportunity to really rethink the things that really worked in our schools and the things that were very, very problematic because we've constantly spoken 
about workload. We've constantly spoken about staff morale and we've constantly spoken about the lack of engagement with children and and, and sometimes, obviously, the, the lead into that in regards to low-level behaviour and just those relationships that we have with our children and sometimes the systems in which we try and develop those relationships or, you know, sometimes destroy them even further. So the opportunity for me is about really thinking about how can we introduce humanity and, and respect and mutual respect and trust back into the back into the procedures and policies of our schools and not just obviously those things that we do that are, are written down in paper, but actually just our day-to-day -day interactions and, and really understanding that actually we all have to reflect because no matter what position you're in in a school, this year has been really tricky for everybody. And, you know, there's points where I've had to hold my hand up and go, right, I'm having a really tough week. This is really rubbish. You know, this is really, really hard because... I've never dealt with this before. I'm, you know, no school leader has ever dealt with this before. You know, no teaching assistant, no teacher, no pupil, no parent has ever, ever dealt with what we've achieved or what we've gone through, sorry, and equally what we've achieved. So for me, we've spent a lot of time really thinking about what matters and what doesn't matter and what counts and what doesn't count. And that thing about, you know, not everything that can be counted counts and not everything that counts can be counted. Apparently, Einstein said that. It's still up for discussion. But, but we, we decided to, to knock staff meetings on the head and really think about our marking policy and really think about those silly meetings that possibly were just meetings because, well, if we don't, we're going to look inconsistent if we don't have a meeting. Well, actually, you're being more open and honest with your staff. You say, look, there's nothing really we need to talk about this Monday crack on and have a little bit of extra time on us you know and just use that time to to you know gather your bits and pieces together so that's what we've been trying to do and try to be really transparent and and to make sure that actually if we're going to have a meeting we we insist it's got to be high quality it's got to move the school forward and if it's not then what's the point in gathering people together just to kind of go through some flannel which is actually either there because it's filling a space or a void in time or actually we're just doing it for the sake of doing it so you know we've really thought about that we've really consulted as well so and then really really considered about you know the experiences of our children as well and, and our parents you know we started on a on a culture of, of this when we went when, I, when we first kind of came to the school and we kind of rebranded what we call now team woodstock which is just about making sure that everybody every child that comes to our school is is welcomed in the morning with a hello and the use of their name um so we have we we call them the orange high vis brigade and i'm included so we're all out senior leaders my family support worker tas we're all out teachers on the front door and it's just a buzz it's just a rush of people coming in going morning and you know names and and the parents and, it, and it's just I, I think it's beautiful because you could easily just hide behind a gate, open the gates and let children come into school. And we're not like that at all. So it's that human aspect of actually being there, talking, chatting, saying hello, having a, you know, having a chat with the parents about last night's TV or the FA Cup final in the upcoming week. There's no reason why we can't have these conversations with our, with our parents, just because we're in education, you know, just because we're teachers. I know that, but... 
I think sometimes we lost that a little bit. We lost the fact that actually we're all just one big community. Definitely. I think that it's such a good good thing to do, especially that anecdote you gave in the morning and the, and the hellos in the mornings, the big happy smiles and the connecting with parents because I'd imagine that later down the line when you do need to have a, a, a tougher conversation with that parent or about their child, it becomes a lot easier because the, the relationship that you've built up just simply by being part of the Orange High Vis Brigade has has really kind of paid dividends. My staff are going to kill me when they go, Orange High Vis Brigade, how dare you? But, but I think for leaders, sometimes, you know, we, we can always put that letter out and say, you know, you must come and speak to Mr. Edwards, the head teacher. And all of a sudden this head teacher comes, you know, floating out of the shadows, never to have been <laughs> seen before. You know, you have to be visible. You know, you have to, you know, people need to go, Mr. Edwards, can I have a quick word or whatever? And we're there to, I think you have to snag the problems before they arise and before mm. they get to anything bigger. Because, you know, there's been a lot of, you know, there's been a lot of worry and a lot of concern, a lot of fear that's been developed over the last, you know, year through social media, through kind of just, you know, just news in general. And actually, you know, as a school, we have a real responsibility to kind of mitigate some of these kind of ridiculous stories that are out there in the press to really relax, you know, reassure our staff, you know, reassure our staff, but equally our parents say, look, you know, this is what happens. No, don't worry about this. And, you know, and when we've had cases, you know, we've had positive cases and and to reassure our staff, you know, sorry, reassure our parents that every case when we have a positive case is different and we treat it in a different way and we have a science that we follow. And it's not just immediate blanket response. You have to be, you know, very scientific and very logic and logical about how you deal with things. So being open and honest with your parents is key. And, and I suppose the journey happened when we went in our first lockdown we developed a Facebook group for our parents. And it, and it was all a bit of, I was a bit concerned about it at the time, but I, I was really concerned that we would, there would be a communication vacuum. So actually when you close a school and you, the communication ceases to be, and we weren't at that point with remote learning, you know, in the first, you know, we were doing things, but it was, you know, learning packs and, and, and get on with it. So we, we set up this Facebook group to which we, we were on there all the time. So I did like a daily briefing sort of mirrored probably Boris a little bit by doing a, a weekly briefing to our staff and just having a chat, seeing how things were telling them about what was going on in the school. You know, we were, you know, in the summer holidays, we we're having some decoration done and this is what's going. So when you come back and we used to do family quizzes and, you know, lessons and story time and, and it became this online community. And, and I suppose it did us really well because when we came back in September, it's like we never went away. It was just, we just carried on, but back in the building again. So yeah, but I suppose that's the human aspect that you just have to keep the conversation going and keep trust at the forefront. Definitely that idea of community and schools being that, that pillar and centre of community because everyone yeah. in the community goes to that school. So it's, it is. It's yeah. important. A lot of the parents that you meet at the gate would have attended, attended the same primary school and it's important that 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 warm welcoming environment and good relationships go all the way through and you mentioned uh, the disruption of, of COVID there so how how disruptive was 
uh, the COVID pandemic for you, and you've obviously given us a little anecdote of how you coped with that, you and your staff team. And how have you found the return to the, to the classroom this time around? The, I think the first lockdown, you know, that slow trickle, and it was a slow trickle towards you know, March 20th, where we, where we closed on that Friday. I think it was very interesting because I think everybody saw this story develop over the course of the week. And I just remember, you know, that we had quite a, you know, a, a usual percentage of attendance on the Monday and over, over the course of that week, it soon dwindled. And, you know, we were having conversations with parents and, and saying, well, you know, you, you know, we don't know what's going to happen yet, but you need to do what you need to do. And, and obviously there wasn't any testing at that point. You know, we, we didn't have that luxury of the PCR testing. So we really had to support our parents through their decision-making process. Um, and the multi-academy, the trust that I work for is, is, a, is, a, is a small multi-academy trust. And, and I was, I suppose, the support that came from our central trust, trust team was just second to none. I, I couldn't fault my CEO. I couldn't fault our central. We, we, we were having these conversations probably before you know, before I thought we would have them, you know, we were talking about, right, what does it look like when we, if we close, what are we going to do? Because we obviously needed to account, you know, support our key worker children. But at that time, there wasn't, you know, wasn't as broad as it was. We weren't, you know, looking at, you know, big numbers of children. So we actually closed our school to then develop a whole trust um, approach to in two of our sites, which was great, which was great because it allowed at that moment in time staff to have reduced contact because you know we were all very conscious of lockdown and traveling to and from and all of those things so we i think we put in a really really supportive package for our pupils and our parents and our, and our staff and, I, and i'm really grateful for the, for the for the trust that i work for for that and you know we we got through to that process and then it was the opportunity when we started to open up to more children i think in the back end of may or, or june as it were and, and it was lovely, you know, we were starting to see children back in school and we were making those opportunities to, you know, to get back to where we were. Um, but again, it was really difficult because we didn't have SATs. We weren't, we weren't going to be able to say farewell to our year sixes, you know, and we had plans to, but then it also, it got curtailed and we had to close earlier than everything else. So it was disruptive. And I think what, I think the biggest regret that I have and it's no fault of anybody's, but I think really I was I was very sad to see a year six just disappear, um, and um, yeah, that still kind of irks me a little bit. I still feel a little bit kind of upset about that year six that didn't get the residential, didn't get the prom, didn't get the kind of the you know the year six leavers assembly, mm. and probably very similar to year elevens and dare I say year thirteen students at that time as well. Those those pupils that were reaching the the landmark of their key stage kind of had that taken away from them, which, 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 which is always sad for a school leader that you don't say goodbye to that year group. Um, so, and then obviously we opened up in the autumn term and we were fully prepared. You know, we had lots of things in place. I think you, you couldn't move for hand sanitizer units and you know, it's all of those things. And we had a very clear rationale for what we were doing. And I think it did take time for children to and this is going back in September, to really comprehend. We were, I suppose we were really concerned that children would come back kind of a bit, 
you know, mind, their mind kind of blown a little bit by going into rows and, and not, you know, all of these kind of, well, you're just going to have dinner with your year group and you're going to have break with your year group because we wanted to really kind of mitigate as many risks as possible. But I was just overwhelmed really by how quick children went, great, what? It's just us on the playground. Yeah, brilliant. You know, what, there's no going to be no squabbling over football. It's just going to be these two classes. Yeah. Wow. Can we do this all the time? And it was it was these things. You kind of go, why have we never thought about this? Actually, children like to have lots of space on the playground just for their year group. Um, we started teachers to lead games, you know, so it wasn't just, you know, free play. We wanted to make sure that children were out there engaging in purposeful education. And I just or, or, or games that would allow, you know, inter, you know, positive interaction. And I just remember going out and seeing all of year four playing What's the Time, Mr. Wolf? I'm just loving it. And it's like, what's the time, Mr. Water? You know, it's those things that you just went, why did we not think about this sooner? So there was lots of positives. There was lots of kind of, you know, moments in which we all had to become accustomed to. Like, you know, we, we, we as a primary school, we did go for face coverings in, in the first instance. We had visors and we had masks on the corridor because we really wanted to, you know, mitigate as many risks as possible. So they were always challenges. But I think there was a level of, you know, we talk a lot about resilience and a lot of our children show resilience every day because they have to, you know, get their own breakfast and, and to get themselves up and they may be young carers and all of those things. But they were very um, quick, I suppose, adaptable to change. They recognised that actually, well, this is different and we're just going to go on with it. And, and that was it. Um, so it was positive. And then obviously, you know, Christmas happened and we were back to this period of time where, you know, remote learning, and we did a lot of work on teams, and we decided as a school to go for live lessons, not a, a full timetable, but you know, a, and that was that was really positive because when we came back, it was they'd had interactions with their teachers on a day to day basis. They're able to talk with them. So as much as it has been disruptive, and of course, like most schools, you we are going to be aware that there's, you know, there's, you know, gaps in knowledge or delivery that we need to do. Is, as a school, but we have the time and we have to make sure that we respond effectively and not panic. You know, we have to really think about what the what the fundamentals are. And obviously there's lots of you know, materials out there to really think about what, we've, what we're trying to cover off in maths to make sure that children have the building blocks to move forward. Um, but equally not trying to make sure that we cram in what I can only be as some kind of, you know, monstrative, you know, catch-up curriculum, which suddenly becomes completely the antithesis of what children need which mm -hmm. is still about engagement excitement curriculum learning fun but making sure that actually we cover the things that they need to know in order to have a solid foundation in the next year because there's always going to be gaps and you will always find gaps in children's knowledge you know mm -hmm. from one year to the next but it's about making sure that we really think about the fundamental skills that they need but also really to look at what they have have achieved during this time you know so yeah i think there's always going to be challenges and i think you know and, and some schools and, and some schools have been luckier than most and you know just because of maybe the infection rate in their areas or just just how it falls you know mm -hmm. um but yeah I, i'm hopeful that you know we'll, we'll move forward yeah there's interesting the, the anecdote there about uh, how young people found coming back of 
kind of not being faced by their, their classroom layout changing, but also the, the I, I could feel that I could sense the joy. I could imagine my own primary school and experience when you, when we have a primary, I think it was primary five when I went into the big playground and you're competing for the football with the primary sevens and they make steal yeah. the football from you. But if you were to go out, it's just your, primary five group but would just be like yes yeah, it's right. yeah. It's, it, i mean it's the thing isn't it you kind of you know you thought that oh they're going to find it terrible actually they've got the the biggest yard in the school i mean at the moment year is we have year six on the field just year six and you know at dinner time and year six love it it's like it's all of year six on the field you know and it's and they love it and it's great and they have football they have rounders they've got lots of ball games and they they've just really enjoyed that sense of exclusivity that it's just their year group and and that's really nice definitely it's another part of the the, the human aspect of of of, um, of teaching that that moments are so so vital for for the young people and they'll sometimes when they look back at their education some of that points are some of the things that they, they really remember so thanks for that we've explored a little bit about leadership and this idea of placing humanity back and teaching and we've kind of discussed a little bit about how you've you've coped with the covid pandemic some wonderful anecdotes there so i want to finish off the interview section by asking about an area, area of interest to me and this is the area of of continuing professional development so can i ask you yeah dan how are you leading cpd in your primary school i think you go on a journey and i think um I think we're all probably, you know, and, and I, I can look back when I, when I first came to the school that you try to fix every possible gap and every possible bit of subject knowledge that you possibly can. And I think some of the work that we've obviously done thinking about our learners, about, you know, cognitive overload and all of these things that we talk about and, you know, this kind of just constant, just knowledge being passed on or ideas and all of these things. You know, how often do we really take our time to really think about quality professional development for our staff mm-hmm. and, and making sure that what we're doing, you know, we all have the pressures of our, you know, academy improvement, school improvement plans or whatever. But I think what we have to do is make sure that any improvement we make is, and it, and it goes back to this humanity thing again, that we actually recognise that staff can only take on so much. And they need to have time to figure things out and need to be able to have real quality input, a chance to really kind of experiment and play with it, a chance to come back and really think about reflecting on what they've learned and how they develop their practice further. So we've really looked at, I suppose it goes back to performance management. You know, we've really considered and hopefully like most schools have gone away from numeric targets and gone, right, you know, you need to get 70% english maths and science at the end of this year or if not you know because that is just, that's not about developmental practice that's just about holding people to account to a number and nine times out of ten if you get to the point where you have those performance management meetings at the end of the day everybody just has a conversation about well why didn't it happen and and that's it there's nothing there about developmental practice mm-hmm. so we've tried to as a trust but also you know as, a, as an academy as well talked about you know spoken to stuff about what is it you want to do better at you know, what is it, you know, reflecting on your practice, what is it that you feel that would you like, you know, you'd like to develop? So, you know, staff have considered about, you know, different approaches to engaging, you know, um, writing in boys or looking at different strategies around teaching of mathematics. 
looking at um, developing spelling practice or, you know, developing PE skills, you know, because they see it's actually really important for their class. So, you know, you look at the children that you, you have and you obviously think about what is it that they need and actually what is it that I need to do to, to be better, you know, more successful in my practice to allow them to have the progress that they need. So we've, we've spent a lot of time, you know, thinking about CPD, allowing people to have a budget to which they can visit schools and to look for their own CPD and obviously support them in having that time away from school. Understanding that leaders, if you are a subject leader, you know, sometimes, um, especially in primary, you, unfortunately, because of the constraints of the timetable, and especially if you're your you're classroom teacher as well, sometimes we say, right, you're, you're leading maths, but, and your leadership time is Friday afternoon. You're not gonna see a lot of maths on a Friday afternoon. So it's about making sure that leaders have the opportunity to kind of go right. I want to do a, a big, you know, that using coining a phrase of a deep diver. I want to really look at what's going on in maths across the school. As leaders, I've tried to facilitate that time. We say, great, well, have the next three days out, go and do it properly, you know, and allowing people to have that professional development, doing, doing a project, and going right. I'm going to have the three next three days. I'm going to really think about maths. I'm going to. This is the process that I'm going on. And it's not snatched and it's not just kind of when you can cram it in. It's about leaders making sure that actually if we want to get our, you know, aspirant leaders or our middle leaders to really progress, we need them the time to the opportunity to, to lead and to, to monitor and to quality assure what's going on and to, and to help other teachers. You can't develop, a, you know, you can't develop people in the, your subject after school all the time and you can't do it through email. You've got to allow people to have those boots on the ground and to give them the time to do it i think for leadership development i think one of the things that we've tried to do and again it goes back to that human aspect if we make sure that i give all of my middle leaders an hour and a half a week sort of a line i would say line management but meeting with me whilst it during school time protected that they can have that opportunity to talk through their planning and to talk through all of those things. It shouldn't be, shouldn't be an extra meeting. And if they want to talk about their subject, they should be able to do it while we're in school and to go and see it. And let's go for a walk around the school. So it's, it's trying to make sure that leaders have that time to lead. They get the opportunity to, to, you know, to craft, develop their craft. But I think for staff as well, it's about making sure that we have high quality CPD and, you know, we've been very lucky to have Kate Jones, you know, do a, a, a kind of a half term project with us. We've just had session two of the work that she's been doing that's been bespoke to what we need as a school. So it's not someone, you know, I'm sure Kate wouldn't mind, but getting Kate's book and regurgitating it. We've tried to make sure that we're using connections and social media and, and all of those things to to get the right people in front of the teachers to give them the quality and to guide them through it. And if we are looking at retrieval practice for half term, that's what we're looking at. We're not looking at this and this and this and this and this and this. That's the priority and that's what we're going to do. So it's about slowing things down, doing less, but better and deeper. I like that idea of doing less, but better and deeper. And you mentioned high quality, of course, Kate's a, a friend of the podcast and has, has done an episode herself that was Wonderful. What a few things that stuck out there is that um, I've spoken in a few podcasts myself, and I've spoke about this need for more personalised CPD for teachers, and 
you know, there's a lot of blogs out there about that it'll tell us why most CPD fails because we've all got stories of being sat in a hall, it being done to us rather than for yeah. us. And I like the, the idea you said about like the kind of the protected time to go and look at mathematics in, in your school or look at literacy and asking staff what do they want to develop. It really gives them that ownership and it will help them drive improvement will help them to go back to what we talked about earlier, it will help them make the education irresistible for the young people in front of them. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much, Dan. That brings us to the end of the, the interview section. And we're going to dive into my quick fire round, which Ooh. are the three questions I ask every guest. But before we do that, can you please share with listeners where they can find out a little bit more about you? Could you signpost them to your website? to other um, audio and video that you've done and also where they can connect with you on um, social media. And please, of course, advertise your, your Saturday morning, Saturday Ed chat. I will take that opportunity, yeah. So most importantly, rather than talking about myself, um, you can, we, you know, like most schools, we have a Twitter account. So at Woodstock Acad is our Twitter feed for our school and, and it's linked there to our website and we try to make sure our Twitter feed is up to date with you know the things that we're doing as a school and we're, we, we're keen to always celebrate the work of our staff and our pupils and parents so that's the first thing you know because it's about them not really me. Um, I have a blog which is leadinginthenow.org and um, there's bits and pieces on there and I also write for Head Teacher Magazine and Teach Primary and the articles I've written for them are also on there. And uh, on Twitter, which is at Dan Edwards underscore 77. Um, I'm always happy to engage and, and, and connect with everybody really on Twitter because I think it's, that's what it's about. And yeah, and of course, Saturday, hashtag Saturday Ed Chat, which is 10 to half past 10 every Saturday. Myself and Kate Jones, we have one theme. It's just half an hour. It's informal um and it's on twitter spaces so you, you do have to follow me <laughs> to uh to get you know to to see where i've tweeted the sh uh, space it's not you know that's not the reason why i do it but obviously um we've done it for five weeks now and it's yeah it's growing so yeah please join it'd be really lovely to have as many people as possible just talking about education and listening and you know creating a platform where we can all just get together and hopefully develop our networks further Definitely. Thank you for that. And, and I think you said you had 90 last week. So hopefully that you get a little yeah. bit more people get a lot out of those discussions. So thank you for that. And, and thanks so much for um, signposting the Twitter page for, for the primary school, which you lead and, and highlighting that. And of course, people should go there and, and, and recognize and kind of sharing the good work that you guys do. So thank you so much. So now for the quick fire round, Dan, these are the three questions I ask every guest. Okay. Um, big questions but I want you to, to shoot from the hip whatever your thoughts are so first question there is what makes great teaching for you relationships developing curiosity and it being a bit of a journey is that it is that okay that's perfect Thanks fine so I don't know how long time I've got I can waffle Thumbs quite up. easily it's okay feel free if you want to elaborate um, so the second question is, what one thing would, would you prioritise to bring about great teaching in every classroom? Time. 
time for teachers to really engage in what they're doing and to allow them to have access to the best personal development, time to read the books that they're teaching our children, time to really access the materials that we want them to teach from, and to make sure that we really consider the pressures that we put our staff under to turn around miracles in sometimes such the smallest amount of times. Right, thank you so much. And my final question to you, Dan, is if you could change just one thing in education, what would that be? Oh, that's a tricky one, isn't it? I'm not doing very well on this quick fire round. Um, crikey, one thing in education, what would it be? To make sure, I know it sounds, it sounds really trivial, but I think it's really important that I would make sure that every child, it sounds simplistic, but I think it's really important to, that every child is read to at the end of each day. I love that. I love that. I had a, a few weeks ago, I had um, a Scottish literacy consultant on called Anne Glenny, who spoke about the need to teach all children to read. And, and I've, since that time, since I first spoke with her, I became incredibly fascinated with reading, reading all kinds of books. Um, Marianne Wolfe's Reader Come Home is a, a very fascinating read. Um, so I think reading to children, I think, is, is, is something that we really, really need to do. I spoke with um, Bradley Bush and Edward Watson from Inner Drive. And uh, Bradley referenced a, a, a study that's been done recently where they asked 11-year-olds what they wanted from their parents. And the majority said that they want their parents to be off on their phone less. Yeah. And I think that's a wonderful, wonderful study to, to think about. And what you've just said there about all children being read to. Mm. It's, it's, uh, sometimes we take it for granted that, that children are read to before bed. We see it on TV. We see it on TV adverts. And sometimes through no fault of their own, that often doesn't happen. So thank you for, for highlighting that at the end. So that brings us to the end. Dan, thank you so, so much for giving up so much of your time. No, pleasure, pleasure. For coming on to Becoming Educated. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Becoming Educated. As ever, I would be delighted to hear your thoughts and you can contact me via Twitter at DNLeslie or via email. So that you don't miss out, I urge you to subscribe to the podcast. And while I have your attention, why not submit a review of the podcast wherever you get yours from so that many, many others can access Becoming Educated. I'll be back next week with another episode of Becoming Educated and I do hope to see you there.